0: we've been talking about having faith and it's easy to have faith when the skies are sunny it's harder to have faith when we're challenged it can even be a challenge to have faith when things are too good and so we've we've tried to lay down this this message this conversation of how do we not only have faith in a moment, but how do we have faith in a lifetime? And in Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 11 there are literally more stories than we could deal with in a, in a period of time of, of people who, who believed in a moment... Who, who believed in a period of time and, and who lived a life of faith over many many years and, and so it 's been exciting to see these stories unfold as as they 're mentioned in in just a few verses in Hebrews chapter eleven to go back and and look at at these stories in the old testament the new testament and and, and they 're testifying of the the fact that God is real, that God is something that makes a difference in my daily life and so my hope is that you have been encouraged. My, my real hope is that it's also made you ask some questions. Many of you have, have come to me and you, you, you've actually opened more questions than when you started. And, and so I, I want you to know that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay for you to begin to process what does it mean for me to follow after Jesus. What does it mean for me to live a life of faith? What does it mean for me to begin to gain my own faith? Not one of my father or mother or grandmother or grandfather or, or a friend, but what does it mean for me to begin to grab a hold of what is, what is my faith? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, there is a verse that, that talks about some people who, who stood up against a city And God knocked the walls down. I love it. It's in Joshua chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you can slip your hand up. We have some folks that would be glad to bring you one. But I want you to know that the, the thing that I want you to see before we get to that story is that we all have stood up against the wall and we've wondered what we should do. And we felt like the wall has pushed us out, has, has kept us away. And within that is the treasure that, that we desire that God may have for us, and we just don't know what to do. And so this is the story of, of how that unfolds in the life of Joshua and the people of God. We're going to get to Joshua chapter 6, but to get to Joshua chapter 6, I really would like to preach about four sermons of which I won't this morning, and you'll thank me for it. But in Joshua chapter 1, it begins with the statement that Moses, the servant of God, is dead. God has to establish that in the life of the man, uh, Joshua, I said Joseph a moment ago, didn't I? Joshua, so that, that God can begin to build into this leader what he needs for the moment, what he needs for now. And so he says to Joshua, Moses is dead. We're not raising him up. He's buried. He's already in glory with God. And there's nothing we're going to do about that except rejoice in what God did there and what he's taught us, and we're moving ahead. And so in Joshua chapter 1, which is a sermon that I love and a, a passage that I love, God gives the promise to Joshua, everywhere you plant your foot, I will give to you. As you begin to conquer the land, as you begin to take the promised land of which your ancestors have been told of, everywhere you put your foot, you will be blessed and I will give you that land. And just as I was a blessing to Moses, I will be a blessing to you. That's a great promise. I want you to know personally, I have taken that into my own life. That where God gives me the opportunity to move forward in my personal life, in my marriage, in my family, in my job as your pastor, in leading this church, I believe that wherever God gives us the land, He blesses us. And just as He has been with people for thousands of years, He will be with us. And so, Joshua is given this encouragement, be strong and courageous several times in chapter one and you you can go back and read it but he he's given that that promise he's given that encouragement so that he can go and take the land which god had given to his people in joshua chapter 2 um joshua the leader sends some spies into the promised land to see it, it is is it possible what do we have ahead for us And they were almost caught, and they were actually rescued by a lady named Rahab, who was a prostitute. Now, I want you to know that when God's in control, he can use whomever he desires. If he wants to use the the pagan king, he can do that. He did that for Joseph. If, If he wants to use someone who's not seeking after God, he can use that. For those of you in in 2014 who think the sky is falling, let me just reassure you, the God of all ages is still in charge, and He can use whatever He desires to rescue His people. In Joshua chapter 2, there is this lady who hides God's people away because she said, we saw what God could do as you crossed the Red Sea. And God parted the waters. And, and God, we, we, we are afraid. And so the spies go home with the report that it's ours for the taking. In Joshua chapter 3, though, they come up against their first real challenge. There is a raging river with no real way to cross. It is in the middle of the season when the river is at its highest. Joshua is faced with his first Challenge as his leader, as the leader of God's people, how will we move across this, this insurmountable, uncrossable river? And God gives Joshua the command that where I lead you, I will provide, and so when you get to the river, you step out and I will make a way. And, and, and it's all hinging upon the fact that somebody had to take that first step, unsure of what's going to happen, into the water for God to do the miracle. And what he did was, when they stepped towards the water, my personal belief is, the moment they stepped in the water, that it parted. And the scripture in Joshua chapter 3 says that there was a great wall of water, and the nation of Israel, nation of Israel, not like 42 people, Millions of people crossed over this river on dry land. They got to the other side in Joshua chapter 4, and the whole nation has crossed. God has done a miracle, and Joshua does an incredible thing, and he says, we must stop right now and worship the God who has provided and so they gathered 12 stones from the middle of the river and they brought them to the, side, the other side to the promised land. And they built an altar and they worshipped the king. And so there is this progression of, of God's challenge for them to follow Him and God's people being faithful. In Joshua chapter 5, God commands them to move towards the city of Jericho. Jericho is the key pivotal place for them to begin to conquer the land. It is the most fortified city with walls that were intimidating, seemingly unconquerable. And so as they began to see that city, the question came in their mind, what will we do? How will we move ahead? What can we Do to take out this wall. And I want you to know that every time that you and I come against a challenge in our life, that God has never said, I'm not sure what we should do right here. (laughs) God always has a plan. It's probably not your plan. It's probably not what I think should happen. But I want you to know that God is never caught off guard. God is never having to go, hold on, let me get back to you. I'm going to go get with my team of advisors. God always knows. And so he begins to prepare Joshua in Joshua chapter 5. And an interesting thing happens. I promise we're getting to Joshua chapter 6. But look just right back at the end of Joshua chapter 5. Because Joshua has an important... Meeting with the commander of the Lord's army. Now, Joshua may have been fooled into thinking that that was him. And I think God has this encounter to remind him that God is still in charge. In verse 13 of chapter 5, it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for this place where you stand is holy ground. What happened in that conversation, if I can translate it a little bit for you, is this. That Joshua thought he needed to confront this military leader. And so he says, are are you for us or for them? And I love his response. Because what he essentially says is this. I'm not on your side And I'm not on their side. I'm on God's side. And I didn't come to do anything except to take over because that's how God does business. And so as Joshua recognizes that this is not an ally, this is the one that we want to follow, the commander of God's army, this angel of the Lord, says, take off your shoes because you are at a holy place. If I could pause for a moment, I don't know about you, but many times I need to be reminded that I'm not really in charge. That I'm just following my king. And so in that moment, Joshua was able to recognize that he needed to stop and to worship his king. Because what is about to happen is probably one of the worst Military strategies ever known to man. Look at Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and and outside because of the people of Israel. And none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. What, 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 What happened was that there was fear that the city of Jericho had heard that God's people were coming. Remember, it's the nation of Israel. It's not like a thousand people. It's like a million, millions of people. And here they come and they're intimidated by the walls and the people within the walls are intimidated by God's people. And now Joshua He's fired up. I mean, and the people of God are, are fired up because they have followed God and they have listened to God and, and they, have, they have obeyed God and, and God has done these miracles and if there's any period of time in the life of the nation of Israel when they're ready to do the unexpected and the unexplainable, it's now. And so God says, hey, look. Verse 2, the city is ready to be taken down. I've already given it to you. It's the confident voice of God proclaiming the imminent defeat of this city. It's like Babe Ruth standing at the plate uh, in in the baseball diamond and pointing towards the home run that he's about to hit. God is setting it up. He's getting ready to do exactly what he had planned to do all along. Look at verse 3. It says, You shall march around the city all the men of war are going around the city once. He's about to give the plan. And, and they're ready. They're ready to hear the plan. They're ready for God's awesome plan. And, and he says, You shall march around the city, all the men of war are going around the city once, and you shall do it for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns and before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest will blow the trumpets. And when they make the long blast of the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every one straight before Him. They were ready for the plan of God. And this is the plan. Some of you are in the military. I've never had the honor to, to serve in the military, but I understand enough of military... Conquest to know that this plan stinks. I mean, it's bad. Th- th- there's no artillery. There's no plan of war. God's plan is for them to walk around the city and shut up. I mean, for real. That's horrible. It's a horrible plan. There's no way that they could. I mean, if we we could talk about you know okay on. Maybe it's psychological warfare. Maybe there's a second half to the plan that we're not seeing. Maybe the city is already intimidated and this is just going to cause them to freak out more. This is a horrible plan except for the hand and the presence of God. If it were just left to man... This would be a dismal failure. But this isn't Joshua's plan. This isn't the strategy of of some team of great thinkers. This is the plan of God. So we know it will be successful. Now, the interesting thing about this plan is that it requires a very key element for six days that as they walk around the city, that they are not to say a word. I think that God needed to prepare the army just as He had prepared Joshua. To not try to talk their way through it, to not try to intimidate the city through the things that they said, but instead to be silent and to recognize that God is still in charge. One writer that I read this week said this, silence is the hardest of commandments. Silence is such a rare commodity. This is one writer said this, how difficult this is to achieve. If we're not speaking verbally, then there are a thousand mental voices in our thoughts, each vying for the last word. Listen to God. How can he possibly get a word in edgewise? This passage seems to be saying, Hush, don't talk, but be quiet before the Lord. As you have poured out your heart to Him, then let God speak. I believe that God wanted them to be silent so they could hear His voice louder than all other things. If we were to do a self-evaluation of how we deal with our problems, most of the time it's prayer that's one way. God, do you not know what's going on down here? Can you not see? Can you not hear? Can you not comprehend that I am sinking? The waves are crashing in. The, the bombs are dropping. And God, we're in trouble. And we never stop to listen to hear what he might say. The nation of Israel, I believe, needed to be silent. Because when we begin to turn off our mouths, to slow down the thoughts of our mind, to try to quit solving the problem, and we let God speak, then we will begin to hear the heartbeat of our King. We'll begin to hear His voice speak so clear. We'll begin to see His passion, His vision, His purpose, and His desire to complete His task. So seven days they walked around. Six days they walked around in complete silence. And on the seventh day, they were meant to be quiet. When I think of why seven days, it seems to be a number throughout Scripture of which God chooses to do things that are perfect, that he created the world in seven days, that he He uh, has done the, the number seven. We see throughout Scripture is that perfect number. I even Think of that passage where the general, the pagan general Naaman gets leprosy and he goes to the man of God, the prophet of God, and says, I hear that you can be healed, that that you can heal me. (laughs) And Elisha says, yes, you can be healed, but you have to go down in the Jordan and dip seven times. And the general says, but, but couldn't I go to a better place? And why do I have to do it seven times? Isn't one enough? If your God is powerful enough, couldn't he do it in just one? And Elisha said, in the Jordan, seven times or die. (laughs) Your choice. So he went in the first time, nothing happened. He went in the second time, nothing happened. He went in the third time, nothing happened. He went in the fourth time, nothing happened. And you know he's got to be thinking in his mind, this is crazy, He went in the fifth time. Nothing happened. He went in the sixth time. Nothing happened. He went in the seventh time and Scripture says that his skin came out looking like a baby's bottom. Pure. Better than before. Why? Because he wanted to test. God wanted to test to see if he really would be faithful enough to believe that if he would obey, God would do the miracle. God's people God said, six days, don't say a word, seventh day, you will obey. Look in verse 6. It says, so Joshua the son of Nun called the priest and said to them, take the ark of the covenant, the presence of God, the promise of God, and let seven priests bear the trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward and march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord, following them. And the army, excuse me, the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark. And when the trumpets blew continually, But Joshua commanded the people, you should not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, and then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp, and they spent the night in the camp. And then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord, And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually and the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord. And while the trumpets blew continually on the second day, they marched around the city once and they returned to the camp and they did it for seven days, six days. And on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. And it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest, priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it, and it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. And only Rahab the prostitute and all who were within her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom were sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest any of you have devoted them. You take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and the gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go in the treasury of the Lord. And so the people, listen, so the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down. What does your Bible say? And the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city, and they devoted all in that city to the destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen and sheep and donkeys with the edge of the sword. God had a perfect plan. (laughs) If it was man's plan, there would have just been a lot of noise. But the seemingly foolish plan of God not only came true, but it worked to perfection. Here's what I want you to grasp from this this morning. Five things. Number one is this. That we need to be a people who humble ourselves in the presence of God. We have to learn to trust in God. Here's what I want you to understand. If you and I continue in a pattern of trying to fix things, if we keep going in the pattern of trying to search out the will of God by our own mental capacities... If we continue to try to rescue the things that we have made a mess with, I want you to know you're going to continue to fail because you have never humbled yourself to understand that you're not in charge. And so we have to begin to fully follow and trust in the Lord Jesus when we begin to see God do miracles in our midst, when we begin to see the hand of God at work, when we begin to experience His grace and provision and mercy, we engage in His love and we begin to see His power. And that all begins with the humility that we experience in the presence of our King. Joshua took off his shoes and he honored the King before he ever stepped into battle second thing is this that we need to be a people who are silent enough to hear from God I'm guilty God I'm going to pray to you and here's here's I'm going to praise you I'm going to thank you and then I'm going to tell you what I want here's what I need here's where I need you to really step in God Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Talk to you tomorrow. God, here's my laundry list of things that I want and desire and need. Take care of that and let me know when you're done. Never taking the time. Never stopping in, in my world and turning everything else off, turning my mind off long enough to stop the things that are, are going on. I don't know about you, but I've got a thousand things going, and I'm always thinking about something, even when I'm praying. In fact, I have to write out my prayers because my, my brain's just all over the place, and I can't even keep a conversation going because I need to be silent. If we were ever to stop and listen we might actually hear what God wants to do. You say, I, I, wanna, I wanna hear from God. But instead, what we do is we just dump the load on God and tell Him to let us know when He's got it done. Be silent. When you begin, when you begin to practice silence in your prayer time, when I begin to turn off everything in my conversations with God, then I will begin to hear, you will begin to hear the voice of God. Look at it this way. How would it go in your friendships, in your marriage relationship, if only one of you talked and the other one never said a word? How's that going to work for you? It's not going to be very productive. You're going to make the other person very angry because we all want to be heard. Guess what? God wants to be heard in your life. You're missing out on God's best because you're doing all the talking and none of the listening. The third thing is that you need to listen for the voice of God. When when we are finally silent, we'll be able to hear what God may have been trying to say all along. That scares me. Does that scare you? It scares me that I've been doing so much talking that God may have been trying to speak for weeks to the issues of which I continue to bring before him. Be silent. Listen. Fourth, you need to obey. Obey the instruction of God. Think about chapter 6. God's plan. Is it crazy? Yeah. Walk around the city Be quiet. Don't do anything. And then at the end, we're just going to shout, and it's going to fall down. It's crazy, except for it's God's plan. God is the God of all creation, and if he wants to use people's voices to knock down walls, guess what? He can do that. And I want you to know that this is not the only crazy plan in Scripture. This is not the only crazy plan that you and I have experienced. Oftentimes when God tells us to do what He wants us to do, it may seem totally ludicrous to the world. But is it best? It's always best. Is it easy? Usually not. God's plan is not usually the easiest plan. But is it worth it? No doubt. God can do it. He is able to do whatever He desires. We just need to obey. And then we get to watch the work of God. Some of you are about to begin a a study on Wednesdays, if you haven't already signed up and you want to, you need to get, on, get in on this. Experiencing God is a great devotional. Uh, whether you are a, a growing Christian and, and deep in your walk of the Lord, or if you're a brand new believer, it's a great study for you to get in, involved in. And one of the things that it says in that study is that God is always at work all around us. And He is just waiting for us to join Him. And taking the love of God and the Gospel message to the world. You see, God is waiting for us to stop our mess and join His perfect plan. No, it doesn't always go the way that we want it to. It doesn't always go the way that we had planned. But we know that we're not alone. Even when we're in the middle of the storm, Jesus is is with us I, I go back to the end of chapter 5 when the commander of the Lord's army is asked which side are you on are you on our side God are you on my side or are you on their side and God says I'm not on either of your side I'm on my side and I'm not here to win a battle I'm here to take over you know what in your life God doesn't want to win a battle he wants to take over and win the war he wants you to gain victory he doesn't want you to live in defeat doesn't mean that everything's going to work out perfect but what it does mean is in the end you want to be standing with Jesus not trying to stand on your own you see we get to experience the presence of our amazing God and God's amazing plans are always incredible they're awesome But His presence in our life is even more amazing. I have some very dear friends in this world. I have some family that I love and I cherish. But the greatest relationship that I have in this life is the one with the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever miss out. The last thing I want you to see is that when we're faithful, God blesses. Look at verse 27. After they had gained the victory, after the city has been, the, the walls have been demolished, the treasure has been taken, and God has been victorious. It says in verse 27, so the Lord was with Joshua and His fame was in all the land. Now that's very interesting to me. That God would lift up the leader. Because we often talk about how we give glory to God and we should. But God was establishing His ways. And so in that moment, Joshua was not only encouraged, but God lifted him up. And said, yes, I, King of kings, Lord of lords, God of all creation, have made this possible today. But I used my man, Joshua. Joshua and the nation of Israel, and I am going to establish my presence in this promised land. God lift up, lifted up his name and his fame, but he also lifted up the one who was faithful. Two things I want you to walk away with today. We've we've tried to do this over the last several weeks for you and or your family to, to have some things that you can talk about that you can package up and carry with you to work tomorrow into your world this afternoon. Two things I want you to see. Number one is this. For the follower of Jesus, I want you to understand that there is nothing that is greater than God. It would have been very easy for the nation of Israel to see those high, strong, incredibly fortified walls and to shake in their boots. But what God had led them to in that moment was the preparation to see that our God is greater than any challenge that we will face. So I can, with confidence, And the authority of Scripture tell you today that there is nothing that you will face in your life that is greater than our God. There is no challenge you will face. There is no problem that you will be faced with that God is not greater than. The second thing is this. For those of you maybe who are not followers of Jesus. Maybe you're checking this whole thing out. You're trying to figure out is is the Gospel true? Is this Jesus real? Here's what I want you to let sink into your life today is this. That you're no match for the sin in your life the things that you are struggling with, the obstacles that you are seeking to overcome, you're going to continue, I, I, this sounds bad, but I want you to be realistic. You're going to continue to struggle with defeat over and over and over again because you do not have within you the power to overcome that you are, the things that you're facing. The only way, the only way is to get on the side of the one who can defeat anything. You Remember what the words of the commander of the Lord's army was? I didn't come to take sides, I came to take over. I want you to let that sink into your life today. Nothing is greater than God. And I can't do anything apart from Him. So today I want to challenge you To choose the cross, to choose Jesus, to engage in the miracles that can only come from Him, and to choose the one whose love is more amazing, more incredible than anything this world has to offer. If you're without Jesus today, you don't have to live in defeat anymore. You can live in victory. If you're facing the greatest challenge of your life, I wish I could tell you that that challenge would go away with just a whisper of a prayer. I can't promise you that, but what I can promise you is this, that it is not greater than your God. Cling to the cross. Give it to Jesus. Call out to him and let him walk with you as you seek to make him the Lord of that situation. Would you pray with me?